Hello, and welcome to the Queen's Observatory Fast Radio Bursts. I am Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. It is our mission to bring exciting space news hot off the telescope and into your ears. One way or another, the Queen's Observatory has continued its practice of sharing the wonders of the universe since 1857. Thank you for joining us in this long-running tradition. Here at Fast Radio Bursts, we will answer your questions, interview astronomers, and dive deep into breaking research. From low Earth orbit to the clouds of Venus, from Betelgeuse to colliding black holes, it's a big universe to talk about, so let's get started. And welcome back. Welcome to Fast Radio Bursts. Um, I am Nick Aurora um, at the Queen's Observatory with my co-host, Connor Stone. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Nick? I'm great. Um, we're sw- as you might see th- some interesting things, we're switching things up a bit. We'll describe that in a minute. Um, but basically, we're going through our series of dangerous things in the universe. Um, last time we presented how to destroy the Earth using asteroids and the sun. And I think that's just a natural follow-up of how can we destroy our own sun or a star in general. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, But before we get started, it's time for some space news. Um, And happy Halloween, everybody, by the way. There were quite a few northern lights or aurora borealis going over Canada and U.S. And that was because of a massive solar flare um, that had come from the sun towards us. Um, The second piece of very interesting news was that a planet was discovered. I mean, we hear planets being discovered on the news every time, but the interesting thing about this um, planet discovery was that it was made outside our own galaxy. So let me give you some context over here. Uh, Most of the planets that are discovered are generally discovered through NASA's Kepler telescope. And they are generally within 3,000-ish light years of the sun, of our Earth. Um, but this planet in, is actually outside of the galaxy, which means it's about 28 million light years away from us. Um, this was discovered by the Chandra X-ray Telescope, um, which was observing the Whirlpool galaxy. Um, and because of its power, it was able to focus onto a sun, a star, in the Whirlpool galaxy and saw a little blob just transit in front of the star, um, which is thought to be a planet at this moment. So that's a pretty cool, exciting thing. Our last news is with NASA's mission Lucy. Um, It was launched um, earlier this year, and it's going up in space to really study asteroids, um, specifically Trojan asteroids that live between Mars and Jupiter. Uh, these are asteroids that have been locked between Mars and Jupiter since the birth of the solar system itself. Um, so if we are able to study these asteroids, um, we are able to get an idea of how the solar system formed and evolved. And that's what it's going to study. However, after it was trying to de- deploy its solar array to power itself, and its solar arrays were only partially dis- deployed. Um, this is a little bit of a problem because the, if you they when you send things up in space, you essentially calculate how much power a particular instrument is going to need, and then you put in exactly that amount. Because remember, every extra kilogram costs you about fifty thousand dollars worth of money to send up in space. Um, so this is a little bit of a problem, and uh, NASA scientists are looking into trying to fix it. So maybe the next time we talk, um, we'll have an update and 
possibly a solution. All right, great. Um, so as you can see, we're switching up our regular things, uh, particularly because Connor is very, very passionate about how to destroy stars. Um, I think Connor's watched a little bit too much Star Wars, um, but that's okay. That's a cool thing. Um, it's a cool set of movies. So for the next little while, I'm going to be running the interviews, um, which are also coming up. Um, the next interview we have in plan is with Dr. Mark Richardson, who is an education and outreach officer at the McDonald Institute here at Queens. Um, and Connor over here will try to do some of the science episodes um, and enlighten us about dangerous things in the universe for the time being and some more fascinating topics uh, in the in the near future. I really just like blowing things up. <laughs> yep, that's that's the dream of a scientist. I will take, say that already. Blow things up, break things apart. Although I can't do any practical tests for what we're going to talk about. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I have not yet blown up a star. <laughs> for, for, for a good reason, but that's a great thing. Okay, yeah. So as we pointed out, um, we're going to today talk about what is a star. Uh, no, how to blow up a star, actually. And that leads up to my follow-up question, which was maybe a little bit jump the gun. But Connor, tell us what is a star? Yeah, so if you want to blow something up, you certainly need to know a little bit about it. So what a star is, uh, really, it, it's a ball of hydrogen. A big ball of hydrogen with emphasis on the big. So um, these stars, a star is such a massive ball of hydrogen that that gravity creates enough pressure at the center to ignite fusion. And really, um, once once the fusion gets started inside a star, there's just a, a battle for its entire life between the energy produced by the fusion wanting to essentially explode the star and the gravity holding it together. So a, a star will very quickly reach an equilibrium where the gigantic explosions happening at the center are essentially exactly balanced out by the uh, gravity pulling it in. Now, um, the way that the energy moves through the star can actually be different depending on the type of star and where you are in the star. So there's, there's two types of this energy transfer. One of them would be through convection and the other being radiation. So radiation is perhaps the simpler one. If you've ever, if you've ever touched a hot pot, then there was essentially radiation transfer from the pot to your hand just just as as the heat moved from the hotter surface to the colder surface in a star the center is the hot surface and the outside is the cold surface convection uh, if you've ever boiled water you would have seen convection because what convection is is blobs of hot material rising up in the star to a higher area where they cool down and then fall back to the center and so this this motion of of material can be can be really important for determining the uh, properties of a star, which we'll actually get to in a little bit. But um, the, these two ways of moving energy through the star are very important for its its structure and how it behaves. Yeah, maybe we should also point out um, the difference in temperature between the center and the surface, right? Because that makes we we did point out the center is the hottest part 
um, but by a lot. <laughs> it's, it's almost a thousand times more hotter than the surface, which is already too hot, right? Yeah, so the, the surface of a star like our sun is of the order 5,000 degrees Celsius. Um, the center will be more like 15 million degrees. Yeah, so it's actually 10,000. So uh, way, way hotter at the center. So a, a, lot of, a lot of heat is moving through this star at any one point. Yeah, um, maybe one thing I will do over here, and this is more of a shameless plug for you, Connor. Um, the way motions of stars work or the way stars actually create energy is how elements in the universe are created. And Connor on our observatory YouTube page has a very amazing talk about how elements in the universe actually take are put together. And it has to do with how stars actually live their life and then actually die. So if you are interested, go and have a look at the YouTube talk as well. Yes, for sure. Uh, fusion in its own right is a very interesting topic. You can do a whole talk about that, which I did. So, yeah. um, if, if you're interested in where the materials in the universe come from, the carbon that makes up our bodies or the gold in your ring, these come from different places and you can learn a little bit of it in the, in the talk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one last thing about what a star is. Uh, we talk a lot about the size of stars. So the reference point is our sun, because that's the one we know best. For the most part, they range from about one one hundredth the mass of our sun up to a hundred times the mass of our sun. So there's some very tiny ones out there and some really, really big ones out there. And uh, the way they behave is very different. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on and actually jump straight into, t into the topic. What can we use to destroy a star? All right, that's the question of the hour. So, okay. how, or I guess half hour. Yeah, 40 minutes. <laughs> there's, there's a few ways to destroy a star. I've got four options listed that uh, I think represent the main ways one would go about destroying a star. The first one, the most straightforward, is to just wait. Um, because <laughs> generally stars destroy themselves anyway. Well, it's very anticlimactic. <laughs> I'm going to destroy a star. I'm going to destroy a star. Let's wait. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> second way to destroy a star would be a nearby massive object. Right. Um, if you think that's exciting, the next one, you can just have the star fall into a black hole. <laughs> so this this does happen. It's been observed. And um, we'll, we'll talk about how exactly it works because... Uh, it's it's a really interesting process and counterintuitive how a star falls into a black hole. The last one, which um, is a little bit out there, is DIY star destruction. You can actually do it yourself if you have a giant civilization at your disposal. Absolutely, that's 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 definitely the need of the hour. So so yeah, we'll we'll end on that for, sort of just for fun. Great, cool. All right. Okay. So let's dive right in. Connor, what, what do you really mean by just wait? What is What special things are going on within a star that can actually just kill itself? Right. So the easiest way to destroy a star, just waiting. Um, and the way that you destroy one of these stars will depend on the size of the star. So if, 
if you're looking at a small star, you're actually uh, kind of out of luck in this in this department because, uh, as I, as I said when I was explaining a little bit about how stars work, um, the different type different sizes of stars have very different properties, and for a small star, something like a tenth or a hundredth of the mass of our sun, these are very long-lived. They, they could live for over a trillion years. The reason that these, these stars live so long is because uh, the smaller a star is, the, the cooler it burns, the less energy it's burning at any one point. Also, um, very small stars have very deep convection layers. So those, those blobs of hot material moving up, uh, that goes all the way essentially to the core of the star, which is really helpful because if you're, if you're constantly transporting blobs out of the center and up to the surface of the star, what you're really doing is mixing up the material in that star. So uh, some, some stars will run out of fuel early because they don't have this convection layer. And so they can only use up the hydrogen at the center of that star. These little ones, they get to use up basically all of their hydrogen because they're constantly mixing it up with that convection layer. Yeah. So they, they can live a very long time. All right. So that's a small star. Let's go on to a star like our sun. So if you wanted to blow up our sun, the easiest way to do it would be to wait about 5 billion years. And then the sun would do it to itself. Right. And the way that it goes about this, uh, we've talked a little bit in we've talked a little bit about that in other episodes. But essentially, um, as we get closer to that five billion year mark, the sun is going to get hotter and hotter. And at some point, it will transition to a red giant phase where the sun turns into a red giant type star. And so uh, the sun will swell up. And in fact, probably envelop the Earth. So uh, you you might might get a bit of collateral damage with this star destruction method. Um, but it, after it goes through the red giant phase, basically that that really hot center is going to just keep puffing up the the outsides of the star until those puff off, and. Uh, a giant cloud of gas will be left behind with a little core white dwarf at the center. And good job. You've uh, nah. you've now destroyed the sun. Yeah. We only have another 5 billion years to look for that super habitable Earth. Yeah, I, I think we can do it. Um, but yeah, you can actually see this process for yourself. So uh, if if you can look up the Orion constellation... In one of the corners of the Orion constellation, there's actually a star, Betelgeuse, which is in the yeah. red giant phase itself. And if you have a telescope, any, any telescope will do. Just make sure to drive outside of any sort of city limits or somewhere that it's bright. You want a dark area. And if you just look up uh, Messier objects, such as the Ring Nebula, you will be able to see relatively easily an example of a a destroyed star. It's yeah. a planetary nebulae, which is basically just a cloud of gas that's left behind from a star like our sun that puffed itself up. Yeah. Um, yeah, Betelgeuse has been in the news quite a bit as well in recent times because it's 
been dimming and getting brighter again. That's a part of Betelgeuse's life. It's a different kind of star, but it's been doing some interesting things, and we think it's been reaching towards the end of its life. Now, maybe one thing we should remind our readers is if Betelgeuse dies, it's not going to be as anticlimactic as the sun. It's not just going to puff up and just be there. It's going to die in an explosion. We're going to talk about that right now, as a matter of fact. But yeah, that's that's a different. So, Connor, tell us how a star as big as Betelgeuse might die or even bigger stars. Yes. So for very large stars, these are stars that are about 10 times the mass of our sun and larger, they, they get a very exciting end to their life. So first up, uh, a little bit of stellar physics. The brightness of the star is connected to the mass by a power of 3.5, which means that a star that's 10 times larger or 10 times more massive than our sun is actually more than 1,000 times brighter which is a huge difference. And what that means is that even though it has 10 times the amount of fuel, it's running through that fuel a thousand times faster. Right. So uh, while the smallest stars get to live for a really, really long time, the largest stars, they only, they're babies. They only get to live for a few million years to a hundred million years um, before they use up their fuel and catastrophically explode so um when a when one of these large stars explodes it's called a supernova and these these supernovas they're they're explosions which release some of the largest amounts of energy of any process in the universe typically of the order of 10 to the power of 44 to 10 to the power of 46 joules of energy which is a mind-bogglingly huge amount of energy. And if you don't deal with scientific notation very often, um, it's hard to get your head around how massive that number is. The total amount of solar energy that lands on Earth over the course of a year is 10 to the power of 24 joules. 24 zeros behind it. Not even close. We got about halfway. Um, the amount of energy it would take to literally disintegrate the Earth, as we talked about in the last episode, that is about 10 to the 32 joules. Yeah. So we're getting there, 32 zeros, only about um, a trillion times less <laughs> than the amount of energy released in a supernova. Um, so the the final comparison would be to get to 10 to the power of 44 joules, that would be about the uh, the total amount of energy released by our sun over its entire 10 billion year lifetime. Yeah. So think think about the sun burning for 10 billion years and then condense that all into an explosion which occurs over the course of a few days to a couple months. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, a supernova... It, it happens extremely quickly inside the star, but just pumping that much energy out kind of takes a while. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the energy goes into, as I talk about in the shameless plug that you mentioned, a lot of, a lot of energy goes into creating um, radioactively unstable uh, atoms, which then decay later. And so most of the light is released within a month or two of, of the supernova occurring. Um, 
So for a fun reference, which, which do you think would be brighter, Nick? A supernova as seen from the orbital distance between the Earth and the sun? So basically right. a supernova occurring at the location of our sun. Or humanity's most powerful nuclear bomb literally pressed against your eyeball. <laughs> Which one this do you is, think is better? This is not even a competition. It's it's going to be supernova for sure. It's it yes. has to be. It is yes. So a supernova, as seen from millions of kilometers away, is far far brighter than a nuclear bomb pressed against your eyeball. <laughs> okay. Um... That was quite an exciting segment, Connor. Um, it led us through a real lows and real highs. Quite a roller coaster from wait, just waiting for it to ending it on a giant uh, explosion that is way too bright. Um, I think it's a good time for us to take a break over here. Um, and now we will be back with the other ways to destroy the star. Hello there. I'm just stopping by to quickly let you know that the Queen's Observatory is always here to answer your space questions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and our website. Links to all of these are in the podcast description. We're always happy to talk about the universe, and if you ask a really big question, we just might have to do a podcast about it. I would also like to mention some of the other great resources out there. In the podcast description, you will find links to the McDonald Institute, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Astronomy on Tap program. They are all excellent programs to bring the universe down to Earth. And with that, let's get back to it. And welcome back. Um, after that roller coaster of a journey of just w- watching the star destroy itself to explosions of, of supernovae being enormous, um, we're now going to go with some of the ways to destroy uh, stars that can be done by other mechanisms. Um, we're going to now start with just putting another star near a white dwarf. So Connor, lead us through this um, and remind us what is a white dwarf and how do we destroy a star by just being near it? Yeah, so this is actually a pretty common thing in the universe, having a, a white dwarf and a star of some type next to it. So white dwarfs are are really interesting objects in their own right. They're sort of the the remaining core after a star, like our sun, has puffed away all of its outer layers, and that hot center is still left behind because it's it's too dense to just puff away. And it's actually held up not by fusing hydrogen anymore. It's holding itself up because it has an electron degenerate state, which... <laughs> We're moving uh, into the realms of sci-fi here, Connor. It's not sci-fi though; it's real. Yeah. And these these white dwarfs, they're essentially they are held up, so the the gravity is held back from collapsing them, purely from quantum mechanics. Yeah. So uh, you may have heard at some point you can know the position of a particle or its speed, but you can't know both. Um, well. In a white dwarf, so many particles have been collected into the same tight space that essentially you know their position too well. Uh, so quantum mechanics gets upset and bumps up the velocity of these mm. particles. And so they're moving around so quickly that they actually sort of bounce around and 
hold up the star, almost like the air pressure inside a balloon holding it up. Right. Um, that's what's happening here. Is quantum mechanics doesn't like that everything's packed in so close together, so it trades it off by making everything move around really fast. A lot more energy. Now this this can only go on for so long. Um, it it uh, it will fail at about one point four times the mass of our sun. So if this white dwarf can build up enough material, get to one point four times the mass of our sun, then fun stuff happens at that point. All right. Okay, so let's move on to that fun stuff. Um, how close do these um, stars and white dwarfs need to be um, to, ca- to cause entertaining damage? Right. So if you want to, if you want your white dwarf to pull, pull material off of the star and um, basically devour the star from the outside, uh, you have to get them pretty close together. The actual the actual distance between them will change with time. Um, but in order to get them close enough to start stripping off material, you're looking at roughly the, the size of the sun is about the size of the distance scale that we're talking about. This distance scale where material starts getting pulled off is called the Roche limit. In, when, you're, when you're looking at the gravity, gravitational orbits around objects, the closer you get to an object, the faster you have to move. So in our solar system, planets that are closer to the sun are moving faster than planets that are further away. Now, when you get really close to an object, then what happens is uh, you can have the part of the star which is closer to the white dwarf. It needs to be orbiting faster than the part of the star which is farthest away from the white dwarf. And this is called a, a tidal force, and it'll actually tear the star apart because one face of the star is trying to orbit faster than the other face. And in fact, um, as, it, as it does this, pulling off the material can actually change the orbits. So you're, you're changing the angular momentum in the system and trading it between the two objects. In math aside, what happens is the white dwarf starts to move in closer and closer to the star as it's eating up the star, which uh, only accelerates the process. And you can get to a point where um, the, the white dwarf is making an orbit around the star every few hours. Uh, so it's really whipping around there. A whole year from this white dwarf's perspective is a few hours. Um, it, it can, in certain types of stars, it'll actually get to the point where it's literally inside the star and eating it from the inside. <laughs> so um, this, is, this is certainly a very... Exciting way to destroy a star. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and it's only getting better because yeah, we're it's... only climbing up this roller coaster of destruction. All right, I think this is the the next point is going to be even more exciting for us. Um, and I think that's the it is really truly the most demanded by people when it comes to destroying things in the universe. Falling into a black hole. Um, so what happens when you fall into a black hole as a star, of course? Yes. Well, I mean, th- this is the big question. When I when I do my observatory tour, it doesn't matter what age group. The question is always like, black holes, tell me more. Yeah. And so we have to bring up black holes here. And black holes are, of course, um, the most extreme objects in the universe. But how a star falls into a black hole is not really what you'd expect at first go. So 
certainly for me, I picture this this big black hole and the star falling into it and basically almost looking like it's just uh, collapsing into the black hole itself. But space is really big and uh, stars and black holes by comparison are very, very small. Um, a typical black hole might be as big as Kingston, um, whereas stars, you know, those, those are pretty big, but they're still small on the scale of the universe. So the chance of them actually colliding with each other head on is super, super small. Probably hasn't happened in the whole galaxy over the whole lifetime of the universe so far. What does happen is they miss each other by a little bit. Um, and if you've ever seen the orbit of a comet, it's kind of like that, where it, it comes in really close, whips around, and then gets shot out really far away. Now, um, when this happens near a black hole, those tidal forces, like the Roche limit that we discussed before, for a black hole, the Roche limit is even more intense. So what can happen is a star can whip in really close to the black hole. And in principle, it should just turn around and whip back out. But instead, it gets within the Roche limit and gets completely obliterated. This is what's called a tidal disruption event. The, the part of the star that's closer to the black hole needs to orbit so much faster than the outer part that it just shreds. Um, and when this happens, basically whatever energy was in that star at that point gets released immediately. Um, for, like for our sun, it takes something like a thousand years for the energy to go from the center, from the core, all the way out to the surface. Imagine releasing that all in one go. Mm. Um, so all, all of this heat and energy that's in the star slowly working its way to the surface is now suddenly all released as the star is shredded. And then, of course, uh, black holes are messy eaters. I think you're the one who told me this, Nick. Yes. Um, black, black holes are very messy eaters. So it is very sloppily devoured by this black hole. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't shred the star and then pull it all into the black hole. Instead, it shreds the star into this like disk of gas, and some of it gets whipped out like the star, the whole star was supposed to, but now it's a puff of gas that, that does. Some of it comes in close to the black hole, forms a disk of material around it, and this disk of material is moving so fast as it spirals in like a whirlpool down towards this black hole that it actually releases even more energy as, as, the, as the stuff bumps into each other on their, on their way in. And they're moving fast enough that just those bumpings can increase the heat enough that it's releasing like x-rays, really, oh. really hot, really, really high energy light. Um, so at the center of every galaxy, there's actually a supermassive black hole, which, which has done this many times, eaten many stars by uh, sloppily tearing them up and then devouring the remains. <laughs> Yeah, and this is certainly that's how they uh, got so big. That's why we call them supermassive. Yes, they're supermassive, and we'll talk a little bit about them in the in the next episode. But uh, yeah, they've they've swallowed many many thousands or millions of stars this way. Okay, all right. Um, 
I am starstruck, um, or maybe black hole struck at this point. <laughs> hey, let's keep moving, Connor. Um, finally, do it yourself, Star Destruction. Um, what is just the most esoteric, the most bizarre way to destroy a star? Yes. Uh, so this one is more more of a, a treat for the end of the episode. the The concept is called star lifting, and it's it's technically possible. The physics is just fine, uh, but as an engineering challenge, removing material off of a star is is incredibly challenging. <laughs> so essentially, what you do is you pump material off of the star. You would you would create a huge array of reflectors that put put the energy from the star back towards the star, which would heat it up. And then you would create an array of particle accelerators around the star, and you'd make a ring of ionized particles that would create a magnetic field, which would direct the material up and out along the poles of the star. If, if you're thinking this sounds like it would be really hard to build, you are correct. It would require a civilization far more powerful than our own working very hard at this because um, it's, it's, of course, it's a megastructure. It's building something in space that would take up more area than like a planet. Um, so actually doing it would probably use up the majority of the material in our solar system, we'd have to go to all the <laughs> asteroids, we'd have to tear apart a bunch of planets, and <laughs> it, would, it would just be a ridiculous thing to do. So one key question. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> so, um, you... Why you would do it, ironically, is actually to prevent a star from exploding. So yeah. you, you could go all the way and just evaporate the whole star, but that would be a lot of work. Um, if, if a civilization ever took on a project like this, it would be to stop their star from exploding. So we discussed how small stars can live for a really, really long time, and you would want your planet to be around one of those. <clears throat> So what you could do is actually pull material off of your star and make it into one of those small ones that lasts for a trillion years. Um, just because it's so big, even though a tiny fraction of the material in, the, in a star is things like carbon and silicon and stuff that we would find useful, you'd still get a lot of it because a star is just so big. Yeah. But yeah, th this is ridiculous. Like... <laughs> the, this is a ridiculous fiction. This is a ridiculous thing to do. All right. I am waiting for work. Netflix to make a TV show about this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's been quite the ride um, to destroy stars and understand how stars die. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Connor, for doing this. Um, this was quite fun, and we will see you next time when it comes to destroying galaxies. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Queen's Observatory's Fast Radio Burst. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the universe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us via email at queensuobservatory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter as the Queen's University Observatory to stay up to date. If you like this podcast, you can help us by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. 
This will help us become more visible and spread the wonders of the universe to more people. That is all from us. We'll be back again with another exciting topic in astronomy.